and welcome to our living my youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is singer Fee Weibo. Now Fee is the lead singer of the band The Tubes. The Tubes are a lot of fun. They're a great band, very entertaining. Probably best known for their songs She's a Beauty, Talk to You Later, White Punks on Dope, just to name a few. We talk all things The Tubes. We talk about working with David Foster and how that basically ended the band. Todd Rundgren, to name a couple of producers that they worked with. Fee released his latest solo album, Fee Weibo Rides Again, in 2020. We talk about that. We talk about his relationship with Richard Marks, professionally and personally. They've been best friends for over 30 years now. Fee tells some amazing stories. He's a really good storyteller. So get comfortable, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Fee. Sophie, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Well, Noel, it's my pleasure. No problem. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, I mean, we're more or less out of the pandemic. I, I would think now, I mean, until the fall when another variant hits, but oh, um, yeah. <laughs> What's like the last like two plus years been like, like for you? Well, it's been, you know, uh, it's been difficult because we haven't been able to perform and I love the performing, but I'm lucky because, you know, I, I have a lovely wife and we have a lovely house and I have a nice dog mm-hmm. and we get to spend a lot of time with each other and go for dog walks and, you know, go to restaurants. And, and so we've been trying to, and, and you know, get projects done. She's, she likes to uh, do ceramics and so we got a uh, uh, we got a, a wheel and a kiln, okay. and so you know, and bought a bunch of clay, and so we can throw pots and and fire them right here at home. And so she's been making a lot of stuff. We've got a whole pile of you can't see them. I guess she moved them, but she's got a, a whole bunch of them. And uh, and so it's you know we've been keeping busy and uh, trying to stay positive, and you know. And uh, pray that it'll all come back. And it is. It's coming back. We did uh, We did some shows weekend before last. We went back to uh, Milwaukee and played Summerfest. Okay. Uh, which is, you know, the biggest outdoor festival in the world. Uh, Rod Stewart was the headliner this year. It was really great. And then we played Omaha and we played Chicago. And uh, next weekend we're going to Canada. And then after that we're going to sacramento portland seattle and just you know we got a lot of dates coming up oh that's awesome anything like new york connecticut jersey area Uh, oh well yeah uh uh later on in the year in november we're gonna play well kind of not really connecticut we're gonna play like boston okay east greenwich rhode island okay manchester or i guess plymouth right and then Buffalo. Okay. Uh, uh, and, you know, more coming by the day. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cause every time you guys or you personally came to like, you know, where I can go see you, something always came up where I couldn't, you know, unfortunately oh. see you. So hopefully in the near future, you know, it'll, it'll all work out. Cause I'd love to see you guys perform live. So Hartford, where do we play Hart? Infinity. Infinity Hall. Yeah. Been there a few times. It's a good place. Yeah, that's a good place. Yeah. And we used to play that little 
what was the before the big infinity hall in town there was the little one out in the woods somewhere where you know the tiny one where mark twain used to talk oh, or something. right yeah uh we played there a few times and that was really cool and uh so you know we'll we'll be back for sure yeah cool good now a few, uh, few Wable rides again I, I love the album um well thank that, you yeah did that was that born out of the pandemic or was that planned even before it happened oh no it's it's uh it's been in the works for a long time Richard and I started right. that back in uh we actually we started it in 2013 oh wow and, uh yeah we we uh he used to uh Richard and I are best friends and right. we have been for like 35, 38 years and have worked together over and over again and written songs again and again and again. And, uh, and he has three sons, Brandon, Lucas and Jesse, who are all my godsons. And when the, when the boys were young uh, and Richard lived in Chicago back then. And when the boys were young, uh, we used to do a boys trip okay. every summer and they had a cabin up in uh, Manaqua, Wisconsin. Mm. So I'd fly in, in Chicago and the boys and Richard and I would drive up to Manaqua and we'd spend a week at the cabin and we'd go fishing and and boating and uh, ride horses and go-karts and eat chocolate and right. have a great time. And we did this for years and years and years. And, uh, and then we, as the boys kind of got older, you know, we did more exciting stuff. We went to uh, Wyoming and did whitewater rafting. And and so pretty much it was a standard summer trip. Right. Boys trip. And uh, so in the in 2013, uh, the boys were, gosh, Brandon was born in 90. So Brandon was like 21 or something. And we went up and we were going to, we were, had planned some kind of trip. I can't remember what it was. Uh, and they and I showed up and the boys all had girlfriends and they decided they didn't they'd rather hang out with their girlfriend of course than go with Uncle Fee and dad you know to go dick around on a right. or something you know and uh and so Richard said well okay we're not going anywhere and and I had already made plans and he said well let's go out he has a studio in his house he said let's go to the studio and write a song and because uh, he had done my previous solo album, which was like, what, 97 or something. Right. Don't be scared by these hands. And Richard and Bruce Geich had, had produced that. And he said, let's do another record. So we went out and uh, we wrote four songs. We wrote Faker, How Dare You, Woulda, Coulda, Shoulda, and Promised Land. Okay. And we got at least started on them. And, uh, and then... And then we kind of let about three years go by before yeah. we ever did anything else. And then, you know, we wrote another one. And then, uh, and so finally, uh, I think it was like the summer of 2019, you know, still, you know, no pandemic on site. Yeah. Uh, or on the horizon. And so he said, let's go in and finish this. And so we went in and, and by that time he had moved out to LA. So we went into a studio in LA and we started finishing tracks and doing vocals and coming up with other tracks. Uh, the one uh, still you on the inside was a track that he had written for, uh, uh, for Daltry, Daughtry. Oh, okay. 
with uh, Chad Kroger from Nickelback and Daughtry didn't do it. And I loved the song. I said, no, I want to do that. And so, and then another one, Say Goodbye was a song I wrote for him, a ballad. And he had so many ballads backed up that it never made an album. So right. I, I said, well, okay, I want, I want to, I want to do a vocal on that because I love that song. Yeah. So we put all these songs together and we kind of finished it off right around uh, the end of 2019. And we, uh, uh, a brilliant kid in Chicago named Matt Proc, uh, an engineer, uh, engineered it for us and then mastered it for us. And so here we are all ready to go with the release and then COVID. Yeah. And then we went, oh, oh. And so we thought, you know, well, let's, let's wait. And then we thought, no, let's not wait because you know, this is going to be over right away. Of course, and, yeah. You know, people, let's not, let's just do it. Let's get a jump on it. So I I released and uh, and then of course, of course, it, it wasn't over right away. And uh, but then it turned out that uh, you know here everybody was sitting at home quarantined and had no new music to listen to. So it was perfect. So we had new music. So. Uh, so it kind of, I think it all kind of worked out and uh, I'm really proud of it. And, uh, uh, and so, you know, that's kind of the way it went down. Right. Yeah, I think Man of the World is like, I mean, I love them all. But I think that's a favorite song of mine on, on the album.
man of the world. That's that's funny. That was the that was the mystery song. Uh, uh, Richard was you know we were looking around for old tracks you know that that hadn't been finished and he sent me this. He goes, we wrote this a long time ago and I can't remember uh, I can't remember what what it was called right. or what the lyrics were or what what and so uh, he sent it to me and. I have a, a word file on my computer with all my lyrics. And uh, he said, try and figure out what what lyric goes with this track. And so, you know, I played A, a and I played the songs in A, wow. and the songs in B, trying to match them up with the music. Right. And, uh, and finally, when I got to M, to Man of the World, I went, oh, that, this is it. <laughs> you know, and I had written it and uh, years ago. And uh, uh, and finally found where it, where it fit with the music, yeah. and then we went in and cut the vocal and did some overdubs, and yeah, yeah it's one of my favorites too. Uh, that's, cool. that's cool. Like, what is like when you release the album? I mean, pandemic aside, like, what is your expectation now for like a new album? Because you know, with releasing of the tubes, everyone wants to hear you know your hits, but like when you release a solo uh, album. Can you sneak those songs in? I mean, how does that work? I mean, are people still like looking for new music from you and like bands from that generation? I don't think so. It's unfortunate. I mean, when we do, I mean, but that it's that way for everyone. I know. I know. All all these classic rock bands try to release a new record, and you go to play live, and they just want to hear the hits. Yeah. You know, it's understandable. I understand it. And same thing with us. We go there and they want to hear White Punks on Dope and they want to hear What Do You Want From Life and they want to hear Bondage and they want to hear Beauty and Talk To You Later. And and so I haven't really uh, tried to slip in any of these solo songs, but I am planning to do in December, I'm going to do a Fee Waybill solo show, a okay. couple of shows here in, in California. Oh, that's good. Southern California and uh, and uh, and do you know a lot of the songs from the record and some of my favorite songs and a Frank Sinatra song and of course I'm going to end up having to do you know talk to you later of course yeah right you know you got to give them what they want yeah and and I think that's and and the way we kind of get around that and keep keep it fresh for us is every show we try to do something different. We don't go out and just play the same set again. You know, like we did the Completion Backward Principle album. We played the whole album top to bottom. And uh, in like 2018 and 19. And now this year we're doing the next, we're doing Outside Inside. And we're doing that whole album in order. And then after we do those 10 or 11 songs, and then we'll do, you know, the other ones they want to hear, the one from Life and Bondage talk to you later and so our set now starts with she's the beauty because okay. that's the song right top of them right inside. so and so we we keep ourselves from getting bored and i try to come up with new characters and new right. costumes and and revamp quaaludes big shoes <laughs> somehow yeah. and you know change his wig color or boa or yeah. do something right you know, make it different than the last time we went out and last because a lot of people the great thing about our fans is you know we do this and they keep coming back even though they've seen us two or three or four times they know this time is going to be different than the last time yeah 
So it's it it's it's good for everything. It's good for everybody. Right. That's good because I'm like maybe I'm in the min- minority when like a band puts out new music and they have hits from say 20, 30 years ago. I like to hear the new music as well. You know, yeah. just because like they put time into recording it. You know, we should enjoy you know he- hearing hearing the songs as well because you know I understand yeah. it might be the first time I see a tube show, so I want to see or hear you know certain songs but like a band i've seen nine million times you know i want to hear different things as well you know that's that's just me you're, i'm probably in the minority <laughs> i think you're one in a million <laughs> I, yeah i've heard that before <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah, going back uh to richard how did uh the two of you meet uh well we met when when the tubes were in the studio with david foster doing the outside inside album right back in 1983 uh we were in a studio in los angeles and richard at the time was like 18 and he lived in chicago and he had his father by the way dick uh his his dad who's passed away was a brilliant jazz piano player and taught Richard how to play piano and he wrote all these jingles right he wrote double mint gum jingle you know, he wrote, my dog's better than your dog. Right. Generation Jingo. And so Richard was was really familiar with writing and with playing. And he wrote a song uh, that line and, and sent it to L.A. And Lionel Richie covered it. And he came out to L.A. to to see him record it. And. uh, uh and he knew of David Foster right. and he didn't know what he was doing, but he said, Lionel, can you hook me up with David Foster? I'd like to meet him. And he said, yeah, sure. He's down the street at Lion's Share Studio doing the tubes. Yeah. And he said, oh, yeah, I like the tubes. Yeah, that's great. Let, and so he shows up one day at the studio and we're in the studio uh, working and uh, uh, just quietly sits way in the back of the studio mm-hmm. and uh, uh <laughs> what happened was we were we were trying to do an overdub with the guitar player and we were trying to do an overdub and we were having a lot of trouble and you know it was nothing was working and we couldn't and it, it just became really frustrating and so uh the guitar player this was when bill was still in the band right and and bill and we kept coming in and we listened to it and go no no we got to do it's got to be like this and kept changing it and trying and new things and again and again and again. And uh, so then he, so he looks around and sees, here's some little kid sitting in the back of the room in the dark, you know, and he goes, who's this guy? You know, I, I don't want to, yeah. you know, get this guy out of here. And, uh, and so I said, Bill, come on, man. You know, it's, he's a kid. He, he's, you know, he came to meet David and just don't worry about him. Just go out and let's get this part done. And, and so I kind of just defended him. I stood up for him. Right. And and so we went out and Bill got the part and everything was great. And then uh, he came in and he apologized and, you know, and and uh, and then, we, you know, the session was over. And then after the session, Richard uh, came up to me and said, dude, thanks for thanks for, you know, sticking up for me. Yeah. And 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 I, you know, I like you. I love your lyrics. Could we? Would you write a song with me? He asked me, and I said, "Well." And I didn't know who he was, and I just went, "Okay." You know, I 
I, I, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I was pretty much willing to collaborate with anybody at that point. Right. And, uh, uh, so I said, okay, sure. And so we wrote a song and, uh, which was a song called who loves your baby, which was Kojak's right. motto or his, his, his slogan, his <laughs> slogan retort. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and then, uh, we wrote another song and then we wrote another song and then, you know, I did my first solo album and then, uh, so we just kind of hit it off. We hit it off and he's, a, he's a brilliant, brilliant writer and has become a brilliant producer and, uh, definitely on the level of David Foster. Right. You know? And, uh, and so we've worked a lot together and written a lot of, of songs for other people and, uh, I've written a lot of songs with him for his records over the years and uh, lyrics. And uh, so we just kind of, we just kind of hit it off. So we're still, uh, we're still, uh, he lives here. He lives out in, uh, in the Valley here in, in LA. And uh, we see, we try to see each other, you know, up every other week or so. Right. Um, and uh, he's back out today. I just talked to him last night. He was in Sacramento and he's heading for Napa. Okay. And to do some gigs. And then uh, next week, we're going to meet up for lunch. So. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, you guys co-wrote Vixen, you know, Edge of Broken Heart, which was. Right. Which was, right. was great. And, you know, his, his, I mean, first album was, all his albums are great, but I mean, his first album was just like, it came out of, you know, the gate, know. you know, which was unbelievable. I know. And came, sold 2 million records yeah. on the first release. I think I had two or three songs on that one. And then on the next one, I had right. three or four. And I had a couple of hits with him. Uh, Too Late to Say Goodbye yep. was a hit. And uh, Nothing Left Behind Us. Uh, and uh, so, you know, over the years, it's, 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 been, it's been great. And he's, he's, uh, he's a great guy. Mm. I mean, he's, he's so talented and he's so driven. Yeah. And, uh, God, he, I don't know anybody that works harder than this guy. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, what's, like, the biggest thing you've, you've like, learned from him as, like, a, a songwriter? Well, uh, I, I think I think that, uh, uh, I think it, I mean, I think it, uh, it's got to be it's got to be like a complete idea it can't be just re repetitive phrases that don't really connect it's got to be a beginning middle and end it's got to be a story a, a, a little story and my lyrics i mean and and you know they have to they, they have to make sense they have to pay off you have to be saying something you know what i mean you have to be it's just not like uh uh let's party Again, right. again, you know, uh, it, it's 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 got to be interesting and and unique, you know. And it and I've kind of I've kind of uh, he kind of taught me uh, a couple of different ways to write. And because a lot of a lot of times there's so two ways that I write. A lot of times he'll send me a track and it'll it'll just have la la melody on it, right. but he'll have a line a t a, a title line right uh and and so then i have so then or i have to like 
So if I have a title line that usually ends up being in the chorus, right? I can, I'll write the chorus first, and then I have to go back to the first verse and figure out how to, you know, what explains that chorus? How do how do you what do you say to work up to that conclusion in the chorus? And so, and then the other way is just sometimes he'll he'll send me a song and and it won't have any lyrics and he'll just say you know and i'll kind of you know i listen to it and it, is it happy is it sad is it about a girl is it about life is it about you know you know ranting and raving about social media or whatever right. or the situation in like promised land the situation of the world yeah but, uh, uh and i'll just start from line one and just let it write itself you know, just kind of stream of consciousness, yeah. you know, what comes next, what, what happens. So, uh, I enjoy it. I, 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 I seldom, you know, sometimes I just write poems and I send him poems. Right. And, uh, and then sometimes he'll use, he'll kind of rearrange it to fit into a melody line. And, uh, but for the most part, he'll send me a track and uh, and I'll kind of keep listening and listening and listening until I hear what it's about, and until I find that little that little kernel in there that yeah, at all. Right. Do you just write lyrics? Do you write music as well? No, I just write lyrics. Mm -hmm. I'm a terrible musician. I <laughs> I used to play guitar, uh, but I'm a bad guitar player. I can play chords. Yeah. But, and I used to, years ago. I used to play guitar in the band and. Uh, and then they said, "No, you're you're good. Right? <laughs> Don't play guitar." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, um, how did you meet the guys in the band? Oh gosh. Uh, well, uh, I, we all grew up, grew up in in uh, Arizona. Right. Roger Roger and Prairie uh, grew up, and and I grew up in in Arizona. I lived in Scottsdale and Roger and Prairie. Roger had a trio called the Red, White and Blues Band. Right. Roger and Prairie and a guy named David, bass player. And they used to play at a little club and I loved music. And so I would go to this. We had a club in town. One club. We had one little rock club. It was called the VIP Club. Right. They used to play there and they would open for acts. And I mean, Alice used to play there. Okay. He used, he used to be uh, Alice Cooper. Right. He used to be in a band called the Earwigs you know, before before the Alice Cooper band or Billion right. Babies or whatever. And uh, and so I used to go see them play a lot. And uh, 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 so I kind of knew them and I kind of was a hanger on her, yeah. you know. And, uh, and what happened was I ended up uh, dropping out of college and moving up to the mountains. And uh, I got a job on a cattle ranch mm. in, uh, cause my, cause I was, I could ride. And my dad, right. my dad was a, my dad was a riding instructor and I grew up on a horse in Scotts. Okay. I always had horses and my dad was a horse show judge and a riding instructor. And we had a stable and we rented horses and we had horse shows. And so I was, I was a horseman and I moved up to Cottonwood because I kind of got tired of, you know, it was kind of like Timothy Leary said, I turn on, tune in and drop out. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I moved up to Cottonwood and I started working for this cattle rancher uh, named Dave Perkins. And, uh, 
It was great. Oh, it was beautiful up there. And I used to ride the range. It was wonderful. And a friend of mine, uh, one of the other guys who worked at the ranch, his name was Michael. Uh, uh, and he met a girl and our friends used to always come up for the weekend. They would come up, get out of Phoenix, come up to the river. We lived on the Verde River and we had a big cabin and we had a swimming hole and people used to come up and hang out and sit around and smoke pot all day long. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, uh, Michael met a girl that came up and they fell in love and they decided to get married and on the ranch. And so he said, you know, they wanted to get a band to play uh, for the wedding. Yeah. And I said, well, I know these guys in Arizona, this trio, you know, and they've got a big truck and they, you know, they, they'll come up and play at your, mm -hmm. at your wedding. And so I got a hold of Roger and, and Roger and Prairie and David came up and played at the wedding. And, uh, and this was the summer of 1969. Okay. okay. And then, and that fall, Prairie, who was an artist, got a scholarship to the San Francisco Art Institute. He and they were moving to San Francisco because Prairie wanted to do this the three-year scholarship, and the band was, you know, the, the band was ready to go with him. Right. And uh so uh so that when they came up to do that wedding, they said, you know, we're gonna move to San Francisco. And we need somebody to help. We need somebody to drive the truck. Mm -hmm. And so, and I was kind of pretty much done with being a cowboy. It's tough. Yeah. tough. <laughs> right. And I was getting, I was getting paid $50 a month mm -hmm. and, and bored. I lived at the ranch and they fed me and I made $50 a month. And so I was, and I had been doing that for about a year, year and a half. And I was, I said, you know, I'm about ready to call this off. Yeah. You know, I, I get it. Right. I the cowboy when I was a kid, but you know, you don't realize how hard they work. Yeah. And, uh, so I said, okay, I'll do it. And so I became the roadie and I got in the truck and I drove it to San Francisco and, and the band played around up there. And, uh, and then, uh, 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 they ended up the bass player quit. He didn't, we, the, you know, the band, it was really a tough back then. There was not a lot of gigs and we all lived in one, you know, all five of us, the, the band, me and this manager guy named John, we all lived in a two bedroom house in San Francisco in the sunset district. Right. And so he said, no, this I'm, I'm leaving, I'm moving. And so he left the band and Roger ended up, uh, there was Bill Spooner had a band from Arizona also that we knew. And we kept telling them how great it was in California. And this is so wonderful. And, and so his band had moved to San Francisco also from Phoenix. And so uh, Roger and Prairie decided to merge with his band. He, he had a quartet, uh, drums, bass, guitar, keyboards. Okay. Uh, so Roger and Prairie joined his band. So they had two drummers and two guitar players. And, and I'm kind of left out in the cold because they already had two roadies. They didn't need me. And, and I, you know, I said, you know, I'm a pretty good singer. I, I sang all the way through high school and I've done all these plays and, you know, so they let me be the background singer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, nobody was getting paid. So right. or how many guys were in the band? Yeah. <laughs> so, 
I started as the background singer and then, you know, the rest is history. I started, you know, finally they let me do a lead song and then I did another lead and then uh, there you go. Here we are. Wow. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah, flash forward a little bit and remote control came out, which I, I love that album. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's really great. Uh, you know, produced by Tom Rudgren, who I've had a lot of artists on here who worked with him and, Everyone has, you know, mixed results, I should say, about working uh -huh. with Todd. He's like, uh -huh. to like, you know, great guy, alpha male, butted heads, you know, this and that. Um, what was uh -huh. your experience with, with Todd on that album? On Remote Control, uh, well, that that's interesting because we, uh, Remote Control came from an idea that I had from a book that I read called being there okay by jersey kosinski and he wrote another big famous book called the painted bird and about the holocaust and being there was a book about the kid who got stuck into you know boarding school and just watched tv all day long and event and and i thought well this is really obscure nobody nobody ever read this book right and i'm gonna kind of steal this idea and 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 make create a concept about the kid who just watches tv all day long unbeknownst to me that the movie would come out yeah. with peter sellers and uh but but we we went into the studio and uh and i had this idea and i told todd and i told all the guys and and we didn't have any material we didn't because this was our what fourth fourth album fifth album with a and m and up until that point, you know, we were we would like write an album in in the winter and then tour from right. March all the way to winter again to November, just all over the world. And uh, so they had uh, this was this was like I think Remote Control tour I think was the fourth or fifth tour in a row, and the tour was all booked and it's starting April first. Right and here we were you know, in January with nothing. And so we had a month to do this record. Right. And, and uh, so we went into this little studio in San Jose, California, and with Todd, and I kind of explained the whole concept to him. He goes, okay, well, okay, that's, I like it. So, uh, so here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll all get together every morning. We'll get together and we'll figure out what the the song is and write the lyrics to the song. And then we'll take lunch and then we'll come back after lunch and and figure out the music. And uh, so uh, so that's what we did. And 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 you know, we all sat around together, Todd and all of us, and okay, well, okay, the kid sits down in front of the TV. What's the first thing he does? Turn me on. Okay, okay. The first song is called Turn Me On. And so we started writing it the song and then in the afternoon we wrote it wrote the music to it and the next day we come in okay what's next well he loves tv tv is king right and so that's the next song and so we write that and so we continued that all the way through both sides of the record and uh uh and the great thing about i mean what uh, one thing was you know we had no time we we didn't have you know we couldn't ponder for a year over right. parts, which is, which I thought was really great because 
you know, you had to go with your gut, your instinct, and there was no second guessing. I think that's a lot of bands fall into the trap of trying to beat the demo. You know, I'm sure you've heard that phrase. Yeah. Can't beat the demo. And you try 10, 12 different ways to make it better and you end up going back to the demo. And so you second guessing just really, really is frustrating. And uh, so we couldn't do that. We didn't have we didn't have time. We, we, we wrote it. That's it. On to the oh. next. And uh, uh, so I kind of I love that album. And I, I, you know, I think I think it's it's funny. Oh, and this was we did the remote control tour in 79. And this was before MTV. Right. We had been doing video all along. And we did we had a video guy whose job was just do video yeah. and, and you know and then edit and this was back when it was a big two inch videotape you know yeah two inch cassette uh and uh we used to uh so we we kind of incorporated video into this whole remote control tour and uh we had pieces where quaalude would talk to me on stage and i would talk to back talk back to him that was recorded and all this kind of interaction it was really cool and we decided when we got ready to go on tour we're gonna get we bought six big tv monitors that are like you know big box right. metal boxes that were like 32 inch tv screens monitors and the thing we didn't buy was the case to put them in oh <laughs> oh yeah and so we go out with it and we have all this pre-recorded video. And so the tour starts and we've got all this video happening and images all over the place. Yeah. Really cool. We put everything in the truck, get to the next gig. Oh, well, one of the TVs is crapped out. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and then, okay, well, and the, by the end of the tour, all six TVs had broken. They were all crapped out. Right. And they were showing nothing but static. <laughs> Every TV, nothing but static. And uh, and the, the the hilarious part is the reviewers thought that that was intentional and this was our take right. on modern television. Oh, that's you funny. Know, it's just static and yeah. a sarcastic comment on TV. And uh, we thought, this is classic. That's perfect. Yeah. We can do no wrong. You know, it was great. Right. Yeah. Now, that was your last album with uh, A&M. Was that? Right. Sales related to creative differences. What was the issue there? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, we never had massive record sales with AM. Right. We had a we had a top forty single with "Don't Touch Me There" on the second album, right? And then, uh, and the, on the first album, they wanted to release "What Do You Want from Life" as the first single, but they cut out all the all the part. You know, yeah. You're an American citizen. You are entitled to a heat kidney shampoo. All of the, yeah. the crazy commercial stuff. Right. Went, oh, no, you'll be labeled as a novelty band. We're going to cut all that out. Well, okay, we weren't down with that. And and the, it didn't do very well. And then uh, White Punks is funny. The first album, the first album, the Tubes album, yeah. had a disclaimer sticker on it. It said, this album contains the word dope. <laughs> <laughs> and uh 
And so, and then we released White Punkstron Dope uh, off of the live album, which was the fourth album, I think, or third. Live Double, Live in London, uh, What Do You Want From Live? And that didn't do very well. So pretty much after five records, they weren't making any money off of us. Right. You know, they, they, and, and we were kind of the cult band. We were kind of the cult band at AM and because they had all the, you know, they had Captain and Tennille and the Carpenters and the police. Yeah. And they had all these super commercial bands that were really doing well. And, uh, you know, finally they just went, okay, well, you know, this, this is not happening. And so they released us and, uh, but we got lucky and we went to Capitol. We met David Foster and we went to Capitol and uh, we got the chance to make completion backward principle and uh, outside and inside. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Cause at that point, David was just, I don't think he did any rock albums, right? It was just like earth, wind and fire, right? Right. Yeah. He had never done a rock album. Now this was the first one he had just done. Uh, Boogie Wonderland with right. Earth, Wind, and Fire, and had a number one song with After the Love Is Gone. Yeah, and then he came to us, and we played him all these rock songs, and he's kind of going, "Whoa, you know, well, this is weird." And mm-hmm. and we he kind of gave, he kind of had that kind of R and B feel to a lot of songs. Yeah, and we loved that. We thought that was great, and he was such a great arranger and and a, a composer of. Mm-hmm. And, and just able to put together all these parts, it was it was it was a really special working with him. Right, and like I watched the Chicago documentary a couple of years ago, and oh, with with you know David and like working with Peter Cetera yeah. kind of alienated the band a lot, right. uh, causing him you know to leave. Um, did that right. happen to you? Like I know you ended up leaving a couple of years later, but did the same experience? happened same kind of thing yeah. yeah same kind of thing uh he kind of gravitated toward me and uh he 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 got involved with me and steve lukather right. and we wrote talk to you later and we wrote she's a beauty and uh and the same kind of thing uh happened only chicago was smart enough to go ahead and do that record of course, uh, with Peter Cetera and Foster yeah. that, you know, sold seven million albums or something. Right. And we, our band decided, no, we don't want him to be telling us what to do. We're not going to do it. So we bailed out and and then did the Love Bomb album. Back with and, Todd. Uh, huh? Yeah, back with Todd. And we did Love and we really liked that album and it was really wacky. And, yeah. you know, but it wasn't the commercial success that the two previous ones. Right. Did. And uh, so then Capital released us. They went, no. dude, you know, what what, what happened? You know, yeah. so. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that they didn't like give you an ultimatum. It's like with, you know, you got to work with, with I'm sorry, with David for the Love Bomb well, album, you know? Well, uh, I don't think the record company could do that, but I gave that. That's why I ended up leaving the band. Right. That was my ultimatum. Right. I said, no, this is a mistake. No, let's just suck it up and do this record and we'll all be happier, mm. you know. And I said, if you don't want to do this, then I'm I I, I think this is a bad decision. I think I'm gonna leave the band. And they went, No, you're not leaving. And, uh, and so then when mm. they did love bomb and it didn't work out, and the record company released us and the management released us and the agency really and I just went, Oh, you know, 
And I had made the ultimatum. So I just went, okay, well, there you go. Yeah. I, I don't want to say I told you so, but I'm moving to LA. Right. <laughs> yeah. What, what was the biggest difference between David and Todd? Oh, well, David, the biggest difference, I think David was a fanatical perfectionist. It had to be perfect. Right. And, and this was before Pro Tools. And, you know, you you couldn't fix it with a computer. Yeah. You had to do it perfect the first time. Right. And again and again and again and again and again. And, you know, you couldn't edit it. You couldn't quantize it. You couldn't do anything. You had to do it. Uh, I, I, re I remember the first vocal that I ever did with David was amnesia. And it took me about 10 days to get it, you know, again, do it again, do it again, do it again. Right. Because I wasn't used to that kind of demand, you know, whereas Todd, Todd is kind of more of feel, feel. He's kind of more of feely and yeah. kind of, oh, that felt pretty good. It wasn't perfect, but right. it kind of felt pretty good. And okay, let's go with that. And, uh, but, but that's, that's not the way David. David. Yeah. So now I guess we'll, we'll talk about the two big hits. Uh, she's a beauty. Um, was that based on a real life experience for you? It was actually.
She's right here behind the glass. And you're going to like her because she's got class. Well, and which is kind of sarcasm. Right. Uh, because the inspiration for that was we were in San Francisco. Uh, this is when I still live in San Francisco. Yeah. And we were, we were playing at a little club in the what they call the Tenderloin, which okay. is the red light district. Right. More or less. It's like the Reaper Bond, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of strip joints. And, yeah bars and and we were playing a club called the great american music hall which was right next door to a porno house <laughs> little brothers porn house that showed porno movies right and uh and so i'm i'm walking around one day uh you know after sound check or doing sound check or something i don't i don't remember but uh uh i saw like there's a massage parlor right and in front of the massage parlor is this like kiosk. It's like the size of a telephone booth, yeah. only it's solid on all sides. And the sign at the top of it says, pay a dollar, talk to a naked girl. Okay. And I kind of went, what? <laughs> and right. so I walked up to it and I put a dollar in there and the front wall comes down. And here's this gorgeous girl in negligee. Yeah. And just, and so she starts, and they're trying to entice me into the, the massage parlor. Okay. For the, for the happy ending massage. And, uh, uh, and I'm just going, why, why you're gorgeous. How, why are you doing this? You could be a model. You could, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, Talk to this girl, right. and she's oblivious. She's right. going, "Yeah, baby, come on, baby, yeah. I can take care of you. Come on inside, and I'll tell you." And I'm just going, "Oh my god!" And and I, at one point, I even said, "I'll, I'll even you can be a tubes dancer. I'm <laughs> call the tubes. Right. And we're playing right down the street, and we'll hire you. And you don't have to do this. You yeah. know, this is degrading, and and." nothing i got nothing and then the wall goes back up and just pay another dollar talk and then she'll disrobe a little bit more yeah. but you pretty much never see any new nudity and uh and so that was kind of uh in fact the lyric originally was you can talk to a naked girl and and foster said no you can't say naked right you can't say naked on the radio mm -hmm. and so she had to change it to talk to a pretty girl uh but yeah that's where that song came from right so they couldn't have a disclaimer on the on the record this record contains the word naked on it you know? <laughs> yeah, really <laughs> yeah <laughs> right what about the background for talk to you later
Well, Talk to You Later, once again, was uh, a song that I wrote with Luke and David. And uh, uh, we wanted a rock song. You know, we were looking for a rock song. And uh, uh, the engineer on the record, his name was Umberto Gatica. He okay. was from Chile. Mm -hmm. And he had a, an accent. And he always talks, you know, in a Spanish accent. And uh, uh, he... Uh, and we, uh, the first record, I mean, and the guy was brilliant and they had all this new kind of exotic equipment in the studio that we had never really worked with yeah. before. And so we were constantly, you know, going up to Umberto going, Oh, Umberto, what does this do? And what does this do? Can, show me what this does. Can we put some of this on this track? Can we do this? Asking him questions again and again and again. And, uh, and he would, and instead of explaining anything or acquiescing, to any request, he would say, uh, talk to you later. Uh, talk to you later, man. Talk to you later. In other right. words, you know. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Don't yeah. bother me. I'm busy. And so talk to you later was kind of that. I, that was one of the songs uh, that I had a, a chorus with. Talk to you later because the lick yeah. that Lukather came up with and the melody we had was da 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 And I went, yeah, talk to you later. Okay. Uh, and so I had to kind of go backwards on that song to, to wow. get to. Right. Yeah. And people don't realize that that was not a, a single, right? That song. It was not a single in the USA. No, right. it was number one in 17 countries, but not the USA. It was number one on the rock charts, right. but it wasn't actually a single on billboard. Uh, the first single from that album was don't want to wait anymore. Right. Because everybody wanted a big ballad. Of course. You know, it was, right. It was 1980, 81, and they, you know, it was all world of journey and REO Speedwagon, yeah. and big ballads, rock ballads, yeah. arena ballads. Right. And that was Bill, right? Bill sang lead on that song, right? Bill sang lead on that. We could be the last two on earth to start a new world. You and me, girl, try And you can almost see How it could be Just you and me Lost Trapped in the freezing
that's another good story uh, uh, because I wrote the I wrote the lyrics to that song with the key and the keyboard player Vince Welding, may he rest in peace, wrote the music and David kind of helped us kind of arrange it and put in modulation and stuff and made it pay off. David always that was one of his big deals. Yeah. It's got to pay off. It's somehow got to pay off. Right. And so I, I, when we went in the studio, I was fully intent upon singing that song. And uh, I had sung a, a, a vocal track on that song. I had already done a track to that. And uh, we were in LA once again. And uh, I came into the studio one morning and I don't think we were doing vocals for something else. I don't know what. And, and Foz says, you know, I, I got, I, I need to tell you something. And I went, yeah, what? And he goes, well, last night, you know, there, we, they were in late combining and, uh, you know, you used to have to combine back then because you only had 24 tracks. Right. So if the, if the drums were on 12 tracks, that didn't leave anything for the rest yeah. of the album. So you'd have to combine those 12 down to stereo to two tracks. And so they were combining drums and he says, uh, we were in last night combining and Bill came in and Bill is just blitzed and he's, you know, been up all night and yeah. he's drunk and he's drooling and he's staggering and he's going, man, I am, I haven't got to sing any songs on this record, man. I want to sing. Don't want to wait anymore. And, and, and rather than uh, deal with him, they went, okay, fine. Go out in the studio. Yeah. Go and he went out there and just ripped out a lead vocal that makes your throat bleed to listen to it. I mean, he did such a great job. It was incredible. And he he felt, I mean, I mean, he he gave it every ounce that he had. And it was so heartfelt and so passionate. And uh next morning I come in and David goes, you know, Bill was in last night and he wanted to sing Don't Want to Wait Anymore. And I went, I, I sang that. I, I'm good with that. He goes, no, listen. Go ahead and listen to the track. Yeah. And so he played me the track and I just kind of went, oh, fuck. I went, you know, I, I said, he he blew me off the table. Right. You know, I said, you got to use this. You got to use this track. And I, there was just no no way around it. You know, he it was a spectacular vocal. Yeah, and I, I love that song. It's it's great. Yeah, yeah. And we 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 played it, you know, for years and years and years. And I always, and and after Bill left the band, uh, you know, I would try to, you know, try to yeah. put that kind of soul into singing that song. I don't think I ever, you know, equaled his vocal, but right. uh, and then we played it again on the Completion Backward tour, and. Uh, it's really high and it's i mean it's it's a blood curdling <laughs> boy i mean i'll tell you yeah now one of my favorites is tip of my tongue i absolutely love that song any story about that one or no oh, oh yeah <laughs> oh, oh yeah <laughs>
Okay, so tip of my tongue uh, was on outside inside, and uh, uh, so we're recording. And down the hall is Earth, Wind, and Fire. Okay, recording. And since David knew all them because he had done the record before, yeah. Yeah, and we're stuck for uh, we're stuck for a chorus. Or a melody in the chorus, we ha didn't have one, and right. and and uh, and so Dave says, 
you know, you know who's really good at melodies is is uh, Maurice. Right. And he said, uh, let me go down there and get Maurice. And uh, he said, but we can't play him the lyrics in the verses that we have because, you know, because he's very religious. Okay. You know, and never been too cunning. I'm no linguist. Yeah. <laughs> linguist. You can't let him hear cunning linguist. Right. <laughs> okay. So we, we we got Maurice in and he he came up with a vocal and some ad libs for us and 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 uh you know and we told it he oh, what's this song about? Well, well, you know, it's just about heart speaks on the you know, it's about a guy trying to say I love you, but he can't get it, you know, it's stuck on the tip of his tongue. And so we we uh the whole time and so he did it for us and he was very gracious and uh, but we never let him never he never heard the lyrics in the verses uh, did he ever hear this like ever get back to you after hearing the song the finished product no, or anything? no? Oh, that's funny <laughs> he, may have, he may have gotten back to david but i don't right never no i don't think so oh uh, that's great <laughs> now you did a bunch of like uh soundtrack work and one of my favorite songs is uh running scared from, you know, oh. from the running scared movie with billy crystal and gregory uh -huh. hines um yeah. Yeah, how, yeah how do they like approach do they actually approach you personally like how does that work out like on some of the soundtracks yeah they you know they we were we were big time at the time and uh, right. uh they they approached the management company or the record company yeah. somebody said we want him to sing "Running Scared," and and I've done a bunch of those over the years, and yeah. and uh, it's I like it; it's enjoyable, and uh, you know they they uh, gosh, what was the other one? Bad Boys or something? We did another one, and Modern Problems. Okay, Chevy Chase movie. I we did the track for that with yeah. Foster, and uh, seeing almost fire, right? Yeah, same uh, same Elmo's Fire was yeah. my solo record song, a couple of songs on, on right. that. Uh so yeah, it's just you know, it's just music supervisors are kind of yeah. just checking out what's happening, what's yeah. what's popular, you yeah. know. Uh so that's kind of how that came about. Right. Now, do you remember where you were the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio? Gosh, I'm trying to remember the first time. It had to be. It had to be uh, driving. I mean, they played it a lot in San Francisco, and we all lived in San Francisco. And it had to be. I think I was going to a softball game, okay. and I heard, "What Do You Want from Life" on the radio. Uh, I used to play fast pitch softball, and uh, my dad was uh, also the. He started little league. Okay. We were baseball players as well as horsemen. Me and my brother, and he started little league in. Uh, Scottsdale and so I started playing ball when I was eight and uh played baseball through high school and <clears throat> and then when I moved to San Francisco yeah. a lot of people were playing fast pitch softball and so I got into playing that and uh, uh I think I was heading for a softball game when I heard uh in 75 right when I heard uh what do you want from life hmm. what about you the know, weirdest yeah. right what about the weirdest place the you weirdest place yeah. that I ever heard our music? Yeah. Ooh. Uh. Oh. Uh. The first time, my gosh, this was the early 80s. I think it was 
uh, I think it was 80, 1980 or 81. Uh, and it was the first time we had played Hamburg, Germany. And uh, I don't know if you know about the Reeperbahn. You know what the Reeperbahn no. is? The Reeperbahn is a red light district in Germany. Okay. And it's it's surrounded by a gigantic green steel wall that's about right. 20 feet high. And inside this complex, I mean, it's like blocks, you know, surrounded yeah. by this big wall. And so our manager at the time, a guy named Ricky Farr, who is a classic, classic case, Welshman. Mm -hmm. And Ricky said, oh, I want to take you to the Reaper Bond. Oh, you guys are really going to love this. And in, in the Reaper Bond, they have live sex. I mean, not fake sex, yeah. live sex, intercourse live. And we're in this club watching these Germans have sex on the stage and they're playing talk to you later. <laughs> going, oh man. Oh boy. Oh. Amazing. <laughs> That's yeah, really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. We were that we had a lot of uh, success in Europe. Uh, we played Germany a lot and we played Scandinavia and, uh, and Holland and mostly UK. I mean, yeah. we we had a, a really massive following in in the UK and played there quite a number of times over the years. And uh, I still love going back there. Yeah. I love going to the UK. It's yeah. the greatest. Right, that's great. But Fee, I really appreciate your time today. Oh, hey man, it's my pleasure. It was great. It was, I love telling these stories. It's so great. I love it. It's yeah, great. yeah, they're they're great stories. I'm you're, you're a great storyteller, so it's really good. I have I've had so many stories happen to me, and I'm so grateful that you know that I'm still doing this, and I'm still right. out there, and I'm still singing, and I'm still wearing the big shoes. Although now, uh, my wife has become the nurse, Quaylude's nurse, oh, because Quay is Quay's a little shaky on the shoes these right. days. <laughs> So she's got this sexy night nurse outfit and she comes out and I'm, I come out yeah. on, you know, to get to the stage. And uh, so it's great. So I have, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to go home to a lonely hotel room all by myself anymore. Right. Uh, and she's really been helping us out a lot. She's oh, that's great. great. That's awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I appreciate the time again. So thank you so much. Okay. No, well, thanks for having me, man. And a special thanks to Fee for joining me today. Follow him on Twitter at the Fee Weibel. The Tubes are also on Twitter at the Tubes Group. Check out their website, thetubes.com. And if you have a guest session, hit me up on Twitter at the First All One Nine, or like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. And go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Show can be found on SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean. Amazon Music, basically, wherever you can find a podcast. New episode comes out every week. I promise, every week now. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you soon.